In property management, the, the concept of strategic ignorance is, is difficult to implement, I think because for a lot of us, we're in the habit of wanting to know what's going on. We feel like, hey, the owners hired us to manage this property, so I need to know if a lease got signed, every rental application, every maintenance request, every disbursement amount. It's tempting to want to just stay plugged in because we ha we feel like we need to know everything that's going on. But I would challenge everyone to, to really step back from that a little bit and ask yourself, why? Why do I need to know this information? If it's being handled, let that person handle it and they can come get me if there's a problem, but just staying plugged in for just a random reason of feeling like you need to know that's not going to help you unlock that time to work on 10x opportunities. I'll give a totally insufficient introduction, but come on, you've been getting emails and seeing uh, all kinds of social posts probably about this. So we don't need to make this long. We just want to get these guys connected, let them get into it. But um, I'll start with Peter, which is, if you don't know Peter, he's the CEO and co-founder of RL Property Management. I'll also put this out. I think Peter is hands down the number one follow on Twitter for property management. If you get no other takeaway today, just go smash a follow button and you're just going to start seeing amazing content about property management that Peter just shares pretty generously for free there. Highly recommend that. Got a great podcast as too, uh, too as well. And I remember seeing, I can't remember if it was a newsletter, Peter, or, or a tweet or where it was, but I think you said, who not how was the number one, like best book you've read this year, really yeah. impactful. And the cool thing I saw following that, and some of you may have seen this as well, is that, that Peter took a five week sabbatical, mini sabbatical, I'll call it, uh, in the business recently, truly stepped away, wasn't responding to emails every day and <clears throat> that kind of thing, really did that um, and shared a lot of his learning experience through that publicly. And, and I think it credits a lot of that to uh, you know, the ideas and ultimately his implementation application of this. So we just thought it would be a cool opportunity to get somebody who uh, is great at interviewing, uh, is you know, here in the property management business operating like you all, and is a big fan of uh, Ben's work and has applied it. Uh, to actually do the interview as opposed to, to us stepping in. So Peter, thanks for being willing to do that and step in and prepare. And uh, and Ben, it's great to see Thank you me. again. It's been a minute since a best year ever conference uh, in San Diego or something like that. I think the last time we saw each other, but um, if you haven't followed uh, Ben's work, I mean, there's many best-selling books. I'm remembering Personalities and Permanent, Willpower Won't Work to Go Far Back, uh, the gap in the gain, who not how, like we've referenced, uh, be your future self. Now there, there's great stuff, uh, great books. Many of you actually, if you signed up early enough, got an autographed copy uh, of who not how sent out, but there's many other great books and many other great lessons and resources. And, uh, Ben, we're, we're so grateful that you're here to share your expertise. I'm going to get out of the way and let, uh, let Peter and you get started. Thanks for being here guys. Thanks so much, Andrew. I'm uh, really excited to interview Ben and I appreciate that really great introduction. Ben, I'm, I'm really thrilled to have you here and, and get to pick your brain a little bit. As Andrew mentioned, uh, your books have been an inspiration for me and I've learned so much from them. I wanna jump right into it. I'm gonna key off of what Andrew mentioned, which was the five week sabbatical I took in June. 
I can trace that directly back to reading years ago, your, I think one of your first books, Willpower Doesn't Work. You talk about in that book, a concept called a forcing function. And this is essentially what kicked off my ability to take a five week sabbatical is that I used the upcoming five weeks as a forcing function to make sure I got every last little operational detail off my plate because I knew that I was going to be gone and I didn't want to interrupt my vacation to, to deal with anything. So using that as a for, as a forcing function was really powerful. So I think I wanted to start by asking you maybe what are some other examples of powerful forcing functions and how we could use that in like a small business context? Absolutely. And uh, super good to be with you. It's fun to talk about willpower doesn't work uh, since that's like four or five years ago. Um, but I love the idea still. So a forcing function, just to kind of give it a little parameters, is any external constraint that you put in place to produce a, de a desired outcome. So like as an example, forcing functions are a big aspect of software design. Like they create, perf like they purposely create constraints so that you can't do certain things. Um, even a microwave, like a microwave opens only one way. You can't open it like five different ways. So it's, there's a forcing function to how it works. And so a forcing function is any external kind of lever or constraint that you put in place that kind of pushes you down a certain path, forces you to go a certain way. So uh, I love your example in terms of like one example could be signing up for a marathon or signing up for a race and doing it with friends, right? Or like hiring, hiring someone like that's a, those are good examples of forcing functions. You've made a, an investment, there's a deadline, there's a date. And so that, that kind of pushes Parkinson's law, which is the idea that work fills the space you give it. Having deadlines is a forcing function. Like me as a writer, I, I don't get things done unless I know when it has to be done. And then it, then it forces uh, clarity of my thought. Uh, simple forcing functions could just be like, if you want to be present with your kids, like leave the phone mm. at your office, leave it in your, like, leave it in your bag, in your car. Don't bring it into the environment. Don't, you know what I mean? Like there's mm. just simple things you can do. Remove the apps from your phone. Like there's just simple things you can do that, that essentially remove, remove the decision fatigue and, and remove the habitual thing. Like it removes your habits. You just kind of create an environment where the habits no longer there. So yeah, yeah. those are, those are a few examples. Yeah, I love that. There's so many opportunities to use that in small business, whether you're the owner or you're working in the business. I love that example of leaving the phone in the car. So I think maybe I want to do that at work too. Just leave the phone in the car and focus on what's actually important. Um, One other just quick example is like no meetings before, you know, X, like don't put meetings in the beginning of the day because that's like the wrong forcing function. You know, that's like a forcing yeah. function for busyness. So like it, it, if you want, if you're someone who prioritizes like deep work, creativity flow, like you know, no meetings on certain, you know, no meetings on certain days, no meetings like before like 11 a.m. or 10. Like these are intense rules for a lot of people in the culture we live in, but these are really good forcing functions for like creating deep work. Yeah. And, and a way I've seen this done really effectively is if you just leave that space blank on your calendar and you agree to yourself not to take meetings, it's easy to forget or override that. But if you actually physically block it out on your calendar and write no meetings, free time, 8 a.m. to noon, you're much more likely to, to keep up with it. I want to zoom forward now to your most recent book, Be Your Future Self Now. Um, fantastic book. Highly recommend anyone who hasn't had a chance to pick that up. I'm going to go right to my favorite quote from the book, which is actually you quoting Robert Brault. And the quote, which I'm thinking about almost continuously since I read it, it goes like this. We are kept from our goals, not by obstacles, 
but by a clear path to a lesser goal. And when I first read this, it, it hit me like a ton of bricks because for me, the clear path is growing the business 10% a year, 15% a year, adding more units under management, taking care of our customers, dealing with the day-to-day -day emails. But because that path is so clear in my mind, it, it prevents me in a lot of ways from thinking about the bigger goals that I want to achieve with our business, whether that's growing by 10x or, and we're going to come back to the 10x, uh, opening new locations um, and some of the other concepts that property management, you know, property management is kind of a springboard. You can use it as a platform to launch into other areas, but that clear path to the lesser goal is something that's it's like uh, cheese, right? As a mouse, you just want to go eat the cheese because it's easy and you can see it. So I'd love for you to share a little bit about where you heard this quote and how you're applying it um, to sort of be your future self now. Absolutely. And I will probably just share my screen in a second and jump straight into 10x is easier than 2x in a second because this is like a really helpful framework for me to think about this quote. But just for starters, um, so if you think about a goal, whatever your goal may be, it could be to make a million dollars, it could be to write a book, it could be uh, to get 50 units, it could be whatever it is, whatever your goal is, it's not the obstacles between you and the goal that stops you. It's that you have too many competing priorities. There's a really good quote actually from Jim Collins where he says, if you have more than three priorities, you have none. And so kind of going back to the 80-20 principle, 80% of most people's time is probably not spent actually going through the learning process of getting to their goal. 80% of their time is spent on other things, which are actually a distraction from the goal. And so I look at any I, I, lesser goal is kind of like a motto for me now. Like, is this a lesser goal? Uh, and a lesser goal is anything that's ultimately taking you away from your priorities. It could be answering email. It could be eating unhealthy food, right? It could be anything. It really depends on what your goal is. First, you have to clarify what your goal is, what you want. And then anything that kind of distracts from that or opposes from that is by nature a lesser goal. And so I'm going to actually just quickly show my screen and kind of teach this framework. And then we can kind of go off of this or you can go whichever direction you want. This is kind of the core framework for the book I'm currently writing, which is the third book with Dan Sullivan. The book is called 10X is Easier Than 2X. And just to kind of explain this simply, this is kind of how I look at lesser goals now. So if you want to go for 2X growth, meaning, you know, basically what that means is you just want to do more of what you're currently doing. And so if you want to go for 2X, you can actually keep 80% of your existing self, your existing mental models, your existing clients, your existing habits, knowledge, behaviors. 2X doesn't require much change. Um, you only have to make minor tweaks um, to go from where you are to like going 2X. There's not massive transformation. It's mostly just continuance of who you are now. Whereas if you want to go for a 10X change, you have to actually eliminate 80% of yourself. Well, I say new because this has to be replaced. 80% of like 80% of everything you're doing right now and the people you're working with are a distraction from 10x. This is actually one of the reasons why 10x is really useful. Um, there's a theory called constraint theory. And it's a, a theory for decision making. But one of the things that this theory is based on is, is that like in Dr. Alan Bernard, by the way, I recommend you guys study his work. He's like the leading expert on this theory, but he talks about how 
if you have too small of a goal, it like small goals are impractical because small goals have too many potential options of getting there. So like if I wanted to double my business, that wouldn't have that wouldn't create a strong enough constraint for what I should do. Like if I want to go for double my business, there's like a thousand different things I could do to potentially double my business. But if I want to go for 10 times bigger, there's not very many pathways to get there. Like it actually forces me to be really honest that most of what I'm doing is actually a distraction. So how I look at lesser goals these days is I look at it as this is the 80%. So there's the 20% that really matters that will scale up to my 10x future self. Like this is my, these are like my best clients or my best activities. Like what I'm doing right now that makes the biggest impact and 80% is a distraction. It may have been what got me here, but it won't get me there. Like this could be my current clients or my current work activities. It could be, you know, literal di full on distractions, like sitting around and being on YouTube, like this is the lesser goals. And so now how I conceptualize lesser goals is, is this the 80% or is this the 20%? If it's the 80%, it's 2x, meaning it's kind of who I currently am. And it's just more of what I am if it's. And so I'm always trying to eliminate the 80%. I'm trying to get rid of anything that's like current self and I'm focused on what is the few things that are relevant to my 10x future self. Yeah, and, so and what I'm makes us removing the eighty percent? And what makes us so challenging is like it sounds it sounds a little bit easy in theory, like oh I'll just cut out eighty percent of the unproductive things and the things I don't like doing. It's like no, you actually are going to end up saying no to a lot of really good ideas, and you're going to say no to a lot of great meetings, a lot of great projects, a lot of great clients because they're only good and they're not great. They don't have a ten x opportunity one of the challenges in property management is that you have a lot of distractions and things that are competing for your attention. You have this client, you have this tenant, you have this property, you have a fire here, you have a new client over here. Um, and in order to free up time to focus on what's really important in that 10x future, you need to engage a concept I learned from your books called strategic ignorance. And uh, as we were talking the other day, you told a great story of why you sold all of your Bitcoin in March of 2020, which was great timing, by the way. But tell us a little bit about why you sold your Bitcoin in March of 2020 and how that relates to what we're talking about. Yeah, so there's really two concepts here. One is obviously strategic ignorance and the other one is who, not how. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, in other words, if you're the one putting out all those fires, you're probably not focused on the 20% of few things where if you got 10 times better at it, you'd be really great at what you do. Instead, you're distracted. And so this is what where uh, strategic ignorance comes in. Basically, the idea here is this. If you want to really grow exponentially, you have to get very, very good at like a few things. You can't be you, you can't just be a generalist where you're just jumping around like, you know, caught up in a million different things. And so strategic ignorance is the idea that almost everything's irrelevant and that you it shouldn't even hit your attention. And I actually, and one of the really useful ways of applying this is like creating clear criteria and then letting, hmm. for example, a who or a system handle that for you. So for example, I've laid out very clear like standards for, for example, the speaking opportunities that are relevant to me. And so my assistant has that criteria. We're constantly updating it through feedback loops, but like she's already got the criteria. So when she, she re receives my emails, only the relevant ones hit my attention span. I don't need to go through the decision fatigue of answering all those emails because I have a system in place. I've created the criteria and I have a who that's handling that for me. So I'm strategically ignorant in terms of um, Bitcoin. I'm like totally uh, like I have nothing against crypto. I actually spent like a, f 
a really long time thinking about it, invested a lot of money in it. Um, the reason I got rid of it is because it was taking too much of my attention. And the biggest bottleneck, and a bottleneck is a concept in constraint theory, the, and it's basically the bottleneck is the thing that's stopping you from achieving your goal. And the biggest bottleneck for human beings is our attention span. Our attention is so limited, but it's so spread thin usually. It's caught up in the 80% of other people's agendas, distractions, uh, the busyness of our current work schedule. Like, And so I realized that cryptocurrency was in my 80%. It was something that was sapping attention from me going really, really deep into the one or two things, my three priorities, that I wanted to get 10 times better at. Um, you've got to get 10 times better before you can go 10 times bigger. And so if your attention is overly spread thin by anything, if anything is sapping your attention, even good things, maybe it's in awesome investments. If those are taking you away from going really, really deep at the few things you want to get really good at, um, Dan Sullivan calls this unique ability. So for me, I know that I want my future self to write 10 times better books than these ones. But if I'm too busy studying cryptocurrency, which has nothing to do with my unique ability, then I'm wasting my time. So I sold it all solely because my attention is worth more than thousand X gains. And even if it made me tons of money, any form of attention deficit yeah. disorder. <laughs> and so what's amazing is when I did sell it, um, my attention was, it's like time slowed down. I stopped thinking about it. One of the things that Dan talks about is never invest in things or people that you have to think about. Um, decision fatigue is very costly. It, it saps all your willpower. It speeds up your time because your attention is so fragmented. Um, to go 10x, you have to almost eliminate everything. That's that 80% so that you can go very, very deep in the few things. I'm actually reading a book right now called Catching the Big Fish. Uh, I think it's by Lynch. Uh, what's his name? His name is uh, David Lynch. He's like a very famous filmmaker. And so the book is called Catching Big Fish, but it's all about how ideas are like fish. And if you're up at the surface, the, the fish are going to be really small. The ideas are really small if your attention is so fragmented. The only way to catch the really, really big fish is to go very, very deep. And in order to go very deep, you have to have a slow mind. Like you can't, there's, you have to have a simple life where like there's almost nothing that's constantly distracting you in our ever distracting world. So yeah. strategic ignorance is one way of doing that, but who not how is another where it's like, if there's anything you're still doing that you could pass off to a who, that's an investment in yourself. You, you delegate it so that you can free yourself up to go deeper and deeper in the few things, those 20% that have like asymmetrical, asymmetrical upside. Yeah. And in property management, the, the concept of strategic ignorance is, is difficult to implement, I think, because for a lot of us, we're in the habit of wanting to know what's going on. We feel like, hey, the owners hired us to manage this property. So I need to know if a lease got signed, every rental application, every maintenance request, every disbursement amount. It's tempting to want to just stay plugged in because we ha we feel like we need to know everything that's going on. But I would challenge everyone to to really step back from that a little bit and ask yourself why why do i need to know this information if it's being handled let that person handle it and they can come get me if there's a problem but just staying plugged in for just a random reason of feeling like you need to know that's not gonna help you unlock that time to work on 10x opportunities so jumping to who not how which is you know as mentioned my favorite book i read so far this year and this was before I even knew anything about the opportunity to interview you. 
in the book you remind us um, find who's for all areas of your life oh and, and just to to give some context here who not how if you haven't read it the main idea is you need to stop thinking about how can i do this which is kind of our default framework client comes to us with a problem how do i get that done you need to reframe that and ask yourself who can help me with this who's the expert who's the person in my network that's done this a hundred times and knows all the details so what are maybe some examples of who's in our personal or family life that can unlock some time um, and and how we might be able to apply that outside of the workplace yeah so both who not how and even 10x is easier than 2x is based on a framework that dan sullivan developed a long time ago called his four freedoms from his standpoint as people we all have four fundamental freedoms we're seeking more of and these freedoms can be quantified but they're also qualitative meaning there's there's quality so like these four freedoms are your freedom of time which is not just how much time you have and how much control you have over it, but literally the quality of your time, like how much it's valued by you and by other people. Um, and also just the quality of its experience. Um, then there's freedom of money, which is like not only how you make your money and also how much, but like, you know, your ability to access money and get it in the ways that you want. So it's quality money. It's good money, not bad money. Bad money would be like you doing things you don't want to do. <laughs> you know, and so there's quality money and, and there's freedom of money and then there's freedom of relationships where it's like you have access to increasing people and who you know is more important than what you know. Back to the idea of who, not how. It's the who's that ultimately open the doors. Your network is your net worth kind of thing. And so the quality of your freedoms in relationships determines the quality of your opportunities. And that's Dan's fourth freedom. The only reason I'm in the fourth freedom is basically what you can actually put your time forth in doing what is the purpose that's driving your life as you invest more and more into yourself and get better at what you do you've got opportunities to do like work that may have been mind-blowing to your past self like projects that are really really important to you um and so the only reason i give that as an example as a like an initial thought for why you should start getting who's throughout your life is that like the quality of your time and the value of your time is really, really essential. And so if you're constantly spending time doing all sorts of tasks, then that shows the quality, like that shows the value of your time, how you value it and how other people value it. And so once you tar start taking uh, who, not how very seriously, you're willing to invest in a who. You're willing to, for example, find someone to spend their time thinking about and worrying about all of your properties so that you no longer have to, so that you can increase the value of your time so that you can focus on other things, whether that's getting bigger deals, find, you know, whatever it may be. Um, so your time is only as valuable as what you're spending your time doing. And so you want to get who's for all areas of your life to free you up so that your, your like value of time it could you could quantify it in dollars per hour maybe it starts going from a hundred dollars per hour to like you know now you've freed yourself up and now your time's worth a thousand dollars an hour or ten thousand dollars an hour um and you don't have to always quantify it either it could just be like the value of what you place your time and attention on but the the thing that stops most people from from taking this idea seriously number one they don't value their time and they also don't uh, they don't value their own unique skill sets and they don't realize that when they free up their time and they now can spend more attention on bigger picture opportunities that they can easily double or triple 
like the amount of money that they make, their freedom of money. You can't increase your freedom of money until you increase the freedom of your time, which is the value of your time. Um, but I'll just give a few examples. Like, this is a fairly new house that I have. Um, this is a second house that I have. And I've had, I've had a second house before that I used as an office, but like, obviously I didn't paint my own house. Like I wanted the whole house painted white. And so like I hired a who for that. Um, and you may start to think in the beginning, well, I don't, I can't afford who's like, so the first who you would probably get is someone to handle the things that are taking up your time, that 80% in terms of your work, like find someone to manage the properties or find someone to answer your emails, find someone to handle your schedule. Like this would be like an assistant. If you make that initial investment and it's an investment, you've now freed up your time and increased its value. And it's always usually, it's often a 10x return. So like if I hire someone for $15 an hour to answer all my emails, I can probably get $150 an hour back or more from that time because now I'm freed up 15 hours a week, 20 hours a week to do better things. And so the only way you can increase your quality of time and value of time is to start offloading it. You have to actually make the commitment first. You got to make the investment first. You got to get the who and then your time becomes more valuable. And then through necessity, being the mother of invention, you'll find ways to do better things. Yeah. And what's really interesting is we are the who for property owners, right? So they've come to us to have their property managed well and get it sure. off their plate, sure. right? Yeah, 100%. So it, you I mean, can even- a big investment for them. Hopefully they value yeah. their time enough to get you, right? Exactly. And you can use that on the in the sales process for those who are who are in the sales function you know, discuss with a potential client, hey, what is it gonna mean for you if we free up all the time you're currently spending finding tenants, collecting rent, dealing with maintenance? Like what is then possible for you? And then that's a way to start thinking about the flip side, which is for us as property managers, what are the things that we're doing that we can get a who for um, to really unlock our own time? So, so sticking on the scene for a minute, um, when I think about the who's that I brought into my life to achieve various things, I've, I've frankly struck out a few times. I got the wrong guy, I brought in the wrong vendor and it ended up costing me a lot of time and money and I had to start over and that instills doubts like, oh, maybe I should have just done it myself. So what are some ways, uh, I know the phrase, the key phrase here is always be the buyer. I love that from the book. Can you share a little bit about how we can find better who's? Absolutely. Um, it's a trial and error process. It's like if, if, if the first time you tried to ride a bike, you fell, like, does that mean you shouldn't learn how to ride a bike or like vice versa? Like, or, or, or even similarly, a child learning how to walk, like just because they fall a handful of times, maybe they should just keep crawling because <laughs> learning how to, you know, like this is a skill. And if you, if you get it, it opens up massive freedoms. Um, if you fall a few times and you, you have to like learn through failure, that's massive learning. Like that's where actually the gap in the game comes in is you transform your experiences into learning so that you can increase your criteria. And so that's actually what comes, that's what takes us to always be the buyer. So this is another great Dan Sullivan concept. Um, basically what he explains is, is that in every social situation, you yourself are either the buyer or the seller. Ideally in a relationship, both parties are buyers. We're both like where there's where both parties are clear on what they want and they want and like they can provide each other what they want. It's more transformational than transactional. Um, but the buyer is the person who's clear on what they want 
and they're also able to walk away. If you're in a seller mentality, then you're not fully clear on your standards and you're desperate to have, like you're desperate to be in the situation of the relationship with someone else. And so you will bend over backwards. You'll fold yourself into a pretzel. You'll, you'll go against your own rules to get into the relationship because you're desperate to be there. The seller is the one that's desperate. The seller won't walk away. The seller is not clear on what they want. Whereas the buyer is very clear on what they want. They're clear on their criteria and they can walk away. And so I'll, I'll give, I'll give an example about where I went wrong with this recently. And I'll also give an example about how we use this not only for getting clients, but also for me finding the right who's for my team. So I'll give the bad example first. And this was more recently. One of the things that like a secondary goal of mine is to grow my YouTube channel only because the goal of that is to ultimately sell more books, which is my primary business goal. So because I'm interested in growing my YouTube channel, I'm interested in finding a who to help me do that. And there are obviously multitudes of who's out there who have programs or processes for growing a YouTube channel. Well, there was a guy I came across who's really awesome at what he does. Also very expensive, but that that doesn't really matter. Like if you make the investment, often it's, you know, often you get what you pay for. But the more and more I learned about his process, the more I realized it was against my philosophy. Like I just... I knew that there was a better fit who than him, but because it wasn't one of my top goals, like I didn't put in enough work to really specify my criteria for what I was looking for. And he was very persuasive. He really wanted to work with me because he felt like if he got me to be one of his clients, he could help me succeed. And then he could leverage like my testimonial to get more and more clients. Um, and so he was very desperate to work with me. I was kind of unclear on what I wanted, but I was pretty sure on the gut check. And also just by learning more about what he was doing, that it would be good, but it wasn't exactly what I was looking for. But ultimately, he kept persisting. He kept lowering his price. And, mm. and then at, at, at a certain point, uh, he like made it so compelling and convincing. I'm like, oh, you know what? Like, all right, like this is a $10,000 experiment, essentially. And so I, I'm like, fine, let's go for this. Let's just try this for one month. He's like, and, and he and he said, by the way, I never do this. Usually my commitment, my minimum commitment is three months, 30 grand, because he charges 10 grand a month. And he was like, I'm, and so I realized he was actually breaking all of his own rules, which he uses for everyone else to work with me. In other words, he was the seller. He was very desperate to work with me and he was breaking his own criteria, which keeps his business going because he really wanted to work with me. Well, I, in this situation also became the seller because I was unclear on what I wanted. And I couldn't just with my clarity, walk away and just say, no, this isn't going to work. And so I got into the situation, invested a bunch of money and felt that internal conflict. Like this isn't right, but oh, well, like, I guess I can do an experiment. Let's just chalk it up to learning. But as the date came closer for me to actually go and film a bunch of videos with him, I had all this internal conflict and I, I'm like, I ended up having to throw in the towel and just saying, dude, I just don't want this. Like I didn't want it from the beginning. Um, I was not really clear, but I was, that's my own fault. Cause I wasn't clear and committed to what I want. And you were very convincing because you really wanted to do this. And so ultimately because I wasn't clear, I put myself into a bad situation. Um, and so I realized we were both the sellers. I ended up getting some of my money back. I paid him for some of his time, um, but it cost me a lot of decision fatigue. It, again, it cost me a lot of valuable time, which is honestly more important than the money. So that was one example where we were both the sellers. 
and we were both essentially unclear on what we wanted, breaking our own rules. And so the buyer is always the one who's really clear on what they want and they're willing to walk away. So, um, am I, is it too yeah. much and, to belabor, is it too much to belabor the point or can I explain no, one, more, one more concept? Where my mind immediately goes here is when you're talking to a prospective client as a property manager and they're telling you about the property or the, the details of how they think about how they want the property managed and there's little alarm bells going off in your mind like oh we don't really like to manage that kind of property or this guy sounds like he's going to be kind of a jerk but he keeps trying to talk you into it he's offering to pay you more or whatever um it's good in the in the property management world to always be a buyer means even when we're the seller we're the buyer and that means turning away a lot of clients and and being right up front with with folks and saying listen we actually only work with maybe one out of two folks who approach us about property management because we have a certain type of property and a certain type of client we like to work with. That immediately reframes it. It gives you the power back and it lets you be selective. And it also puts clients in a much more, it puts you more on equal footing with them. It's like, hey, you're interviewing me, but I'm also interviewing you. That's actually the key is that you always want to be in the position where they're applying to work with you, yeah. even if like you're the one selling the product. Um, so like I used this, this experience and I'll tell you of a situation even yesterday where I was clear on my pri priorities and I had to ultimately or clear on my success criteria, which is essentially your standards. Your standards are basically who you are and how you operate in the world. And if you, if you say something's your standard, but you keep going below it, then it's not a standard. And your standards are ultimately what produce your outcomes because your standards and your identity are the exact same thing. So I'll, I'll tell the example of what this led me to. So I run a, like an entrepreneurial coaching program. And in the past, we didn't have as clear of criteria. We, we've gotten clear and clear. This is what feedback loops are for. This is like your example. You could turn it into a gain and ultimately get clear and clear about what you want. That, by the way, is the most essential aspect of applying who, not how and being a leader is very clearly stating what does success look like in this case. Um, so I wasn't clear on what success looked like with my YouTube channel, which is why it led me down a wrong path. But one of the standards now that's required for someone to get into my coaching program is I never want to be the seller and I never want to try to sell someone into what I'm doing. And so if someone is only like 85% interested or sure, and they're not that clear, we'll help get them clear, but we're not going to try to convince them at all. Like essentially if they're not a hundred percent excited and pounding down the door, like, yes, I want to do this. Yes. I want to be in here. Then it's actually a no for us. Like you're not actually, not only do they have to meet certain specifications in terms of like how much money they have their business, like, certain forms of knowledge, but they have to be 100% excited and committed and wanting to be in the community or else it's a no for us. We're like, no, yeah. like you, do, I, we, we turn pe more pe way more people down, even people who are way qualified in all of the other dimensions, but they're like, they still aren't 100% sure if they want to do it. And we don't want those kind of people in, in our group because that kills the culture. Um, let me give one other quick example. Yesterday, so I... Even this opportunity, like me speaking here, there there's there were certain criteria that had to be met in order for even me to come to this Zoom call to make sense to me. Um, but there was an opportunity where someone wanted me to come and speak at their event on Zoom and my Zoom, like my online 
speaking uh, criteria is different than me flying out to someone in person. But we kept, I had a bad gut feeling about this one that we said yes to. And it, it had met a lot of the, pro, like, it had, we already weeded out most things. But I just didn't have a good feeling about it. And then the more and more we learned about it, the more I'm like, this is not right. Like, rather than them wanting to do an interview like this, for example, they wanted me to do a presentation. And like, he had bought in a lot of, he had purchased a lot of books before, but he was not going to do it this time. And like, it, he just, he was, he was not seeing the value, I guess, or he was not wanting to invest. And I just realized this is not meeting my criteria. <laughs> um, this is, this is a two X situation for me. This is the 80%. This is stuff I would have said yes to two or three years ago, but I've like, I'm up, I've gone through 10 X myself and like, this doesn't fit the criteria anymore. And so I just told him, look, I can't do this. Like, learning that it's actually a presentation, not an interview. That's a no go. Like you're not buying books. That's a no go. Like even though we're friends and like <laughs> I've done good stuff for you and you've done good stuff for me, this situation, it doesn't fit. It just doesn't work. I, I have to say, no, I'm sorry. Like that's the point of making standards is if you don't actually live it, then it's not a standard. And so this is kind of just, it's how you actually improve yourself. Yeah. Um, I've, I've heard it said, you know, the only way to grow your confidence is to make commitments to yourself and keep those commitments. So, yeah. And I, I think until you've tasted the fruit of saying no to two X opportunities, because you know, what's possible as a 10 X opportunity, it's so hard to visualize it. But there's been times when we said no to a client where I was like back and forth, back and forth, you know, they've got 80 units and half of them are in a good area and they're willing to sign a long-term agreement, but those, the other half of the properties are not a good fit. And so you're back and forth, back and forth. And you finally say no. And within seconds, you're like, I made the right decision. I feel so good about saying no. So until you've tasted that it's hard, but it, it, it becomes clearing the practice. I think, like you said, it's a skill. Well, so, one other just quick thing I'll say yeah. to that is that every time you keep saying yes to a two X opportunity, something that's convenient and maybe it's quick cash, right? But it's ultimately a high cost because you're proving to the outside world and to the marketplace that you're still accepting things at this level. Mm. You know, like you're, so there's a really good quote and there's a great book called As a Man Thinketh. It's kind of like a classic self-development book. But one of the things he talks about in that book is that men do not attract that which they want, but that which they are. And, and who you are is your identity. It's your standards. And, and so, if you keep saying yes to those two X opportunities that are below the standard that you want to hold for yourself, if you keep saying yes to those, then you're shrinking your identity. And, and there's a lot of internal conflict, which is going to, it's going to present if you're, you're not really being at that level. And so once you start saying no to the 80%, which takes courage sometimes, almost immediately your confidence and your integrity will start shooting through the roof. And, and then through necessity, it, it reminds me of what Dan says. Dan says, nothing happens until after you commit. Once you've put yourself into that place of commitment and you start saying no to the lesser goals, then you start finding ways. Necessity is the mother of invention. You start finding ways to get the opportunities at the level you want. And so like I've done this over and over and over where it's like you raise the floor. You know, your floor price may be like, you know, X amount of money, but then you raise the floor and you start saying no to the old floor. And mm -hmm. like, that's scary for a while because you're like, I don't know, like that's my main income. But by doing that, you've, you've made a commitment to yourself 
and you've freed yourself up to find and position yourself in the better ways to ultimately attract those better opportunities, which you will start doing. And I can just attest it happens again and again and again. Like it feels so great. It's such a confidence builder to start saying no to those things and to be clear on who you are and what you want and to say no. Like that was what I would have said yes to even a month ago, but no, I'm going to find a way to figure it out at this new level. And that's how you ultimately keep leveling up. I love it. I think we're going to wrap there, Ben. Thank you so much. This has been an awesome conversation. Thank you. Thanks for reading the books. And hopefully this was useful to you guys. This has been fantastic. And I'll challenge everyone as we close and I turn it back to Adair. Try and think about the 2x opportunities in your life that you're going to start saying no to. I'll leave it at that. That's all for today's Triple Win Property Management Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for sharing a piece of your life with us. We do not take it for granted. I also want to give a shout out to Carol Housel for everything she and our team does to make these possible. It's crazy to think about over 5,000 professional property managers have pressed play on episodes in season one and season two now. And we really want to encourage you to keep giving feedback because more and more people are listening. It's getting better and better and better thanks to everything that you're sharing with us. If you like this enough to listen, I want to encourage you to share it with other people. Um, You can give us feedback directly on those social media channels, Facebook, LinkedIn, wherever you're hanging out. You can also send us an email at triplewin at secondnature.com. And we just want to give more. There's no sales pitch here. Just want to offer more resources that help you find and stack your next triple win and become a triple win driven property manager. So where can you find that? You can find the private Facebook group. You can find our blog. You can find our newsletter. You can find more resources all at rbp.secondnature.com. Just search for what you're looking for there. And every time we see you, we want to see a better version of you and your business. To that end, keep it going, feel inspired, take our encouragement, and we'll see you next time.